Welcome to your independent resource for films in the Northwest. This is KROQ with the movie news you can use. We've got David Lynch on the weather, Steven Soderbergh on traffic, and Huey Lewis in the news. What's good in Hollywood? Because all the movies are canceled, and so are we. I should insert some like air horns here. Yeah, just a bunch of sound effects of that. Did you write that yourself? Yeah. It's funny. Uh, within the last four or five minutes. Wow, it's, it's clever. <laughs> we should script the show from now on. I think we'd do better. You think we should just script the whole episode? Maybe. Uh, uh, I don't know. I'm not opposed to it. I'll say that. Like, it might go go a little better. Uh, some of our improv skills could use some, some work, I think, sometimes. Hi, David. How are the two weeks with me out of town? Uh, mild laughter. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> hey, Calvin. They were good. Better than you would think. <laughs> that said to laugh there. That's what I said. Laughter. Um, <laughs> there are no movies coming out because the theaters are all closed. <laughs> That's okay. I didn't uh, watch movies anyway. Applause. Did you only watch classic movies on the Criterion channel? You know it. I watched some new movies anyway. Oh, that is interesting. Let me pretend to know what you're talking about. <laughs> well, there are a wealth of new movies, and they're from independent directors nobody's ever heard of, and they probably won't hear them ever again. Well, that's nice that we are shining a spotlight on them, despite the fact that they won't hear about them again. It's too bad. Um, should we get going with the show? Sure. You know that wasn't your episode. That, so. that wasn't half bad though. You know, we probably could script it. That was just off Yeah. I guess well, though maybe not because that was just off the cuff. So is, is that you improv off or is the that cuff, scripting? I'm still reading off my script. <laughs> I'm waiting for mine to get in the mail. You're supposed to send it to me. <laughs> well, it's a little bit delayed with the COVID right now. I I sent your I sent your mail 2 weeks ago. I could have done it by email, but um that doesn't make sense. Yeah, well, that's all right. Uh, I'll just wing it from here. Uh, did you enjoy the two shows that we did without you? I know we had you uh, edit them. Uh, we put you through that process still. Absolutely not. <laughs> yeah, uh, we were we were a little mean, though people listening probably didn't hear the most of it. Uh, Calvin, with his editorial powers, cut out a whole lot of nasty shit we said about him. There were at least two hours that Graham was just on a rant, like a complete tear, and I just couldn't handle that going on the site. Yeah, he, he really used that opportunity to uh, exercise some of his uh, true feelings and there's uh, a little animosity now uh, between everyone here. The, the anti-Semitic comments, I don't know where those came from, though. That was really unwarranted of him. I couldn't believe it. I feel like he really crossed the line. So if we never see or hear of him again, we know why. Right. Uh, bro, bro was a little better, but, uh, you know, at the same time, I think he'd been drinking before he came on the show. <laughs> You, yeah. you tried. We tried to make him sound decent, you know, but I put him through the sober equalizer <laughs> on the on our editing tools, and it still didn't do anything. Yeah, he just sounded like a almost normal person. I took away his bro sound effects, <laughs> but he still sounded drunk. Well, well, I think you did a pretty uh, great job editing there. Uh, you know, I, I think the shows came out pretty well. We, we handled all right. Surprised, though, you were gone for so long. I started looking for replacements already. Um, and it was ironic since we were going to head into the big sick, and then I got my, you know, like two weeks, the whole family sick. Yeah. Uh, but And, of course, you still sound a little sick, but no more sick than regular Calvin sounds. Right. I'm not sure what the difference is from usual. Uh, I'm just, anymore. this is just how it's always sounded to me, I think. <laughs> and uh, it was going to be a heavy show already because I haven't gotten into it quite yet, but I'll get into in depth like my coma experience and uh, my own recovery with uh, the big sick as well. Guest appearance by. And we have uh, <laughs> waiting for a car to pass by. Was it a car? It and sounded like a, a lawnmower. Yeah, right? Um, we have a. We'll do a little segment on Lynn Shelton. I don't know. It's a little bit hard to talk about, but she passed this week. So yeah. I will remember a Seattle um, film community member who's been very important in our scene. You should definitely tell me a little bit more about her. Of course, I'm I'm not as uh, versed in her work, but there was definitely an outpouring of uh, you know emotional uh, grieving when uh, we got the news just a, was that a few days ago? 
Yeah, um, she had passed a week before this releases here. Um, uh, she had, well, I, I've always admired her. She's kind of from Ohio and then grew up in the Northwest, kind of the same story as me. Um, and she had, uh, you might know her from Hump Day. Uh, she's done some, um, a lot of comedy stuff, but a lot of TV work. She wasn't, she wasn't quite like, uh, she didn't get labeled by her TV work. She went from like Mad Men to making independent comedies back to doing Glow. Uh, she's done some great episodes within Glow and, um, you might just, I don't know if there's like a big recognizable thing. The thing is that, um. I think she passed right before she was going to, you know, really do something big. Uh, she's been a partner with Mark Marin romantically and comedically for a few years. Uh, he, she did like his stand-ups, um, and they worked together on Glow, of course, and Sword of Trust last year. Uh, she was the first uh, Seattle director to open SIF um, uh, with the Seattle-based film. Uh, she often shot like in like Duval area, and uh, you could always like scout out local scenes on San Juan's. Um, Laggies was a pretty influential Seattle film. Um, she's good friends with Ben Gibbard. I, I don't know if you know a Death Cab for Cutie. Mm -hmm. um, so he did the score for that one, and that one's just about uh, Seattle lifestyle and coming of age story. Uh, very important, um, significant figure within our community here. So uh, we just wanted to give a shout out and a little bit of remembrance. Um, it's it's real sad. Yeah, it's always a. Uh sad news when someone important in the community dies but especially at a, a very uh uh well a, a young age like that she was 54 which is you know yeah. definitely still too early of course and uh it just seemingly came out of nowhere it always feels like just an extra gut punch like that yeah i mean just a, what like a month ago we were watching like her episodes or i was watching her episodes of little fires everywhere and she still had stuff left in her it wasn't like she was retiring anytime soon no um so that's too bad. Uh, if you want to go back, uh, just look through her MDiv, and it's a really good collection. A nice split of TV and um, TV and uh, movie work. I'd recommend. Uh, I don't think many people, even our fans, have seen it. But Outside In is a really special movie. Uh, um, kind of like a dramedy, like what we're covering today. But uh, uh, again, she worked with the Duplass brothers a lot. Um, that was one of her trademarks for the movies. So. Uh, they're in this one, and it's a nice uh, story about a ex-con who gets out of prison and falls in love with an older woman, and it's a really nice Northwest story. It's great. That, uh, I'm always happy to hear you champion so much of the Northwest stuff here. That's one of my favorite things, of course, of our, our show here, is that we really love to push this uh, Pacific Northwest uh, personality and lifestyle, and because it, it is such an integral, I think, personal identification for both of us. So, I mean... Of course, I'd say it come from our site, but I do think we're one of the best independent outlets of the Northwest covering <laughs> movies. So there's not a ton of competition there, but I think we're doing the best job of that specifically. I think we try. We certainly try to. And uh, we highlight, you know, some older stuff. I always like to, at least when I'm looking through older stuff, when I point out uh, stuff, I'm like, oh, hey, this film, this this Western I saw takes place in the Washington area. Calvin would love this because it's like two things that he's, he's super big on. Yeah, it's a, it's a huge passion highlighting all of that stuff and something that I really think uh, we have a good opportunity and window to do here because we have a lot of access. Yeah, it's a, it's a significant area I think that's often uh, overlooked uh, culturally, um, you know, that uh, could use more highlights in the modern era. Give me two seconds and we'll do Scooby-Doo here. Okay. I gotta close this window. I thought you were closed already. <laughs> Sure, this all get edited out, or maybe knowing Calvin, he won't edit it out at all. Just let this dead air stand for a while while he closes the window. Sorry, uh, what were you saying? Oh, nothing, nothing. I didn't say anything weird about you at all. Well, oh. it's gonna be awkward when I get through the edit. <laughs> uh, so there was another kids' movie coming out. We've realized that, um, uh, production teams don't have to stop for COVID while they're doing animated features. So they kept developing Scooby-Doo and they were able to see it through the finish line. The new one's called Scoob. Right. It's a, it's another Trolls world, world Tour situation, I believe, where they're just, yeah. instead of doing the theatrical run like they planned, they're just going straight to VOD. This one's nice because, you know, usually it's been $20 for a rental. This one's 25 You could keep it. 
Which is really nice for parents. Right. Well, keep it in the sense that you have access to it until they strip it away, potentially. <laughs> We've seen some yeah. of that come up recently. So just, you know, always be aware that you don't actually own digital media. You know, you got to get it physically if you want to keep it, keep it. With the kid, it's like you want the three or four month window where this is a phase till they get the next kid's movie. Yeah, for, for that $5 for you, that that's definitely, that's a steal. It's a perfect thing. Like, just the upgrade, you know... Uh, so you can watch it ten more times at least. You know, like even if that's the maximum amount of times you watch it again, that's worth it for the uh, the five dollar increase in price. I I wouldn't say I watched it seven times, but it's at least been on seven times in the house. So <laughs> I I don't feel like it was a loss at all. No, no, it made sense to do. I think. Uh, but how was the film itself? Um, well, they kind of went away from any kind of mystery in the film. I mean, they hint at it like they're going to start. Um, the gang kind of gets together. Instead of finding him in a pet store, Shaggy comes upon Scooby on a beach. Um, then they do a little mystery thing for Halloween. They chase down a bad guy and they say, let's not make a habit of doing this. But then they don't the rest of the movie. It would be a good joke if they just kept doing mysteries. But Isn't that the appeal of Mystery Incorporated? You would think so. Um, I think they really got away from that and they kind of separate Scooby and Shaggy, which is the kind of Scooby-Doo movie I don't like. I think there are two kind of Scooby-Doo movies in this world. There's, <laughs> uh, there's the kind where they separate them from the crew and the kind where the whole gang's together, which is the kind I really prefer. Mm-hmm. Except for like the uh, the little spin-off ones where uh, Shaggy and Scooby are doing their own thing with a, a host of side characters and stuff, and the gang's not even present at all, right? Yeah, I think it worked for, like, the ghoul school. I don't think it worked for Boo Brothers as well as for me. I know Bro is really affectionate toward that one. I remember those very faintly. Like, th- those were the kind of movies that I remember of the, the Scooby used to aside from the 60s show, like the late 60s show. Yeah. Uh, those those were the ones I have the fondest memories of. But you've been going through, like, the whole catalog now with your daughter lately. <laughs> I have. Um there have been some surprises. Uh, Stage Fright, I'd recommend to anyone. That's a really compelling mystery, actually. It, it's based on Phantom of the Opera, and kind of just like that story, there's like four or five different people who could be the, uh, the what would you call it, the culprit in Scooby-Doo, and they all kind of fall through in a really amusing, hilarious way, and it's really well set up. There's a good development between Daphne and Fred, finally. Um, there, a lot of things are just seen through to like a logical conclusion of what you'd expect in a Scooby-Doo story. Mm-hmm. I think in the community, as far as the movies go, the greatest uh, you know fondness for for the collection there is in those uh, those first like realistic ones where the mystery became you know like oh they're actual like zombies like Zombie Island's a big one and the the Space Invader ones with real aliens and and stuff like that yeah I forget I forget the animator's name who kind of led that movement but we had like Zombie Island Witches Ghost Cyber Chase all at once I think it was right or Alien Invaders I th- I think Cyber Chase was the first one where they switched to digital animation everything else was still okay. hand drawn before then but it, it's still in that collection of like actual threats as opposed to rubber mask villains the i mean the worst one that i'd still recommend is probably gourmet ghost <laughs> just because we find out that uh, bobby flay is fred's uncle which i've been obsessed with for over <laughs> a year it's just because he spent his whole life not knowing he had a famous uncle named bobby flay that's so. that's the most ridiculous uh twist in a scooby-doo film i can think of <laughs> that's probably the worst thing they've done um <laughs> but uh there's some pretty bad scooby-doo movies um the worst one of all so far has been WrestleMania, obviously. Uh, that's just not a good crossover is that, opportunity. Is that the one with John Cena? Yeah, it is. Um, but you can't see him, so he's not really in it. So he's, wait, he's not in it, but he's in it? Yeah. Uh, that's the John Cena meme, right? You can't see him? I have no idea. I'm not up with all of the, the new memes and stuff. Uh, new memes. Uh, the new scoop, though, I I couldn't wholeheartedly recommend. It's a lot of branding, uh, and the branding crossover starts with Simon Cowell from American American Scott Idols, American Idol, X Factor, uh, something else. Now I'm sure. Yeah, I don't know why you'd start with him when you have all these characters. Uh, Dick Dastardly is really the big bad guy. Um, so that's kind of fun for a few minutes. I've never been terribly interested in crossovers in the Scooby-Doo world. I just no? I just want to see the gang. I just want the straight mystery stuff, you know. I don't need all yeah. the extra fluff. 
Yeah, I think they found that it's very easy to do whatever you want inside these stories, and that as long as you have Scooby, people will watch it, which is proving true, I think. Yeah. Uh, uh, Ezra likes it a lot. That's fine. That's it's good, at least. Do you think it's going to you know, indicate, like with Trolls World Tour, that the animated market's going to swing more to at-home release? I don't think it'll be as big as that. Um, I, I don't know. Well, this is kind of a relaunch while Trolls is following up one of the most successful kids movies of the last few years like this was supposed to be the big theatrical release for scooby and it didn't happen well there's also i know a bit of controversy around it because they recast shaggy you know matthew lillard who's been doing the part for like the better part of his career now was like just totally you know not even considered which is like a, a travesty yeah he went on for 30 years with the part you know it's it's not a good thing and it sounds weird um, they still have, um, what's his name, uh, Frank Welker on Scooby, mm-hmm. but they, they make him say too much, you know? Scooby should really be limited in what he gets to say. He shouldn't say whole lines. Right. Very little, like maybe a word or two here and there, but like, what are we expecting, Shakespearean diatribes now? He has a few very <laughs> deep Shakespearean monologues. Um, what else do we have? Well, yeah, tell me about all the new things because I was I was totally at a loss last couple of weeks for new stuff. I didn't even know if anything was coming or not, and we had to struggle to think up something to talk about in the beginning. It's weird because it's been one of the biggest release months of the. Well, it has been the biggest release month of the year for new movies, but they're very hidden. I don't know if people are aware of half the stuff coming. It's either hugely disproportioned to what it should make on VOD or it's not being seen at all. The, like half this experiment is a complete failure. Yeah, the biggest thing I've seen any kind of promotion for is just recently with the trailer for Spike Lee's new film and everyone was aware of that and the fact that it's coming to Netflix everyone's like, finally a new film and it's kind of like, well, there, there have been new films but nobody cares about them because <laughs> there's no yeah, names been about, It's been like 15 to 20 a week for the last few weeks and Nobody really knows about that. Yeah, which is crazy. That's why I need you here. The show only half functions if you're gone, as we found, despite the the very wonderful uh, conversations had with both Graham and Bro. Uh, we're definitely uh, I I lack on the information for new movies here. So please, there were two <laughs> great neon documentaries. There was um, Spaceship Earth, Earth, which I've already reviewed on the site. Uh, which tells uh, the story of scientists going to a biosphere and creating a theatrical science community. Really good watch. And then there was The Painter and the Thief, which I really fell in love with. Uh, yeah, I remember reading your reviews for both of these, and they sounded very uh, interesting uh, based on your your write-ups there for them. The Painter and the Thief, it's a Norwegian story about a woman who, coming out of a, an abusive relationship, she made a painting, and it was stolen by some thief, and... Uh, she tracks the guy down during a court hearing about the theft, and she's like, well, will you give back to my art since you stole so much from me? And he agrees to have his uh, portrait painted by her. They become really fast friends, and uh, it's surreal what, what really develops there and where it traces back to her old work. Yeah, it's very peculiar sounding, but uh, an interesting study. I remember you uh, said in there that the, uh, the, the documentarian kind of got in on it before it really... Uh blew up i think benjamin Ree he had already done one called what was it like morpheus or morbius about a chess player in germany which is a good watch as well but uh, or in uh norway excuse me i'm thinking of dd still yeah <laughs> uh, thinking of pavlos uh if if you're a really good documentarian and you sit with any story long enough i think you're going to be so good that you find the angle and you're able to lead the story in an interesting way I think he, I think he's just so good at the form that he was able to find something there, and he knew what to do with it. Uh, is there a place that people can watch this right now? No, not I'm yet. I'm sure it's coming out on. Uh, I'm sure it's going to be like virtual cinema through this week. Uh, it probably comes out this Thursday, uh, day before this comes out. I guess that's part of the problem as well. Is that there, there's a lot of new movies for you with all the screeners and stuff coming, but you know, it's one of those things where it's not as accessible for everyone else and again the, the advertising is not as great for a lot of these things being released they just kind of <laughs> drop without yeah. without any kind of word 
Well, theaters, it's like you go to the theater and you see your standee for Scoob or Trolls, and those benefited from like a two-year cycle of any time you went to the movies, you had that ad recognition. But if you haven't been to a theater in three months, how are you going to remember to go to their website? Like, all these movies are available at your local independent theater's website, so go check those. And yeah, check out your local Alamo Draft House. They have a lot of quirky independent features and old stuff that's showing, too. Uh, there's something for everyone showing to so support those guys. Well, is there uh, anything else new, maybe a little bit more accessible for people? Yeah, there's The Lovebirds, which ties in pretty perfectly. Uh, same director, same actor as what we're covering today. Yeah, so make a nice uh, transitional point. Uh, I guess their follow-up to The Big Sick, Michael Showalter yeah. and Kumail Nanjiani in another rom-com. <laughs> it's hilarious to me because... Uh, uh, you're going to have to help me with Nanjiani? Non, Is that yeah, how we're going to say it? You got it. Nanjiani. Nanjiani. Yeah, they say it in the movie, too, so you should uh, should have it. But I worry with a name like that, but uh, I'm glad we're on the same page. Uh, in the three movies, The lo- or, um, the Big Sick and then Stuber and The Lovebirds, they all have large uh, Uber elements playing into them. I was going to ask that because from... Uh, I noticed he was, you know, Uber driver in uh, The Big Sick as well. I'm like, is this just a thing that I guess, like, <laughs> Camille wants to be an Uber driver and everything? So that, that yeah. carries over to here? I hate to do that thing where it's, like, different cultures have their stereotypes of comedies or something. And, and sometimes it seems like, oh, like, an Indian actor just does relationship movies. or, uh, But I feel like... I feel like he's found kind of his niche within Uber, and it's kind of <laughs> interesting. <laughs> because not a lot of other movies do that. Um, I guess uh, I guess there are some comedies. It's it's showing up a lot in comedies, I guess. Uber's become the new taxi. Oh, it's, it certainly has. I mean, when was the last time you had a taxi service kind of really portrayed in a movie? I mean, when was the last time you took a taxi yourself? I'd just like Martin Scorsese to make the Uber driver, the sequel to Stuber. <laughs> And Stuber's great because I get to say stupid Uber driver every time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so should I tell you about Lovebirds? Yeah, please tell me about this movie. <laughs> well, Issa Rae and Nanjiani. Yeah, Am I doing yeah, it right you, still? You got it. You got it. Issa Rae and Nanjiani, they're in a long-term relationship. They've started to fray, and they're starting to get in fights, and they go on a drive, um, and they hit a guy on a bicycle, and that embroils them into a big murder plot, and... Uh, they go on the run. Um, there's a lot of whispered comedy. It's weird that Nanjiani, he really takes to whispering about half his lines here. He's also got super ripped. I don't know if you've seen his Instagram, but like well, the last four or five months. Yes, because he's doing that Marvel show. He's doing the Eternals, and uh, he had to get yeah. super buff for that. But yeah, I saw those. It's like ridiculous. He's so ripped. Yeah, he's more fit than he ever needed. Does that show but... up here? Is he still like yeah. have a little bit of the muscle? Oh, yeah, and uh, it makes it more believable that he's with Issa Rae, because I think one of our people said, I, I'd love to go fall in love with Issa Rae, too, and I think we all do, and I think this movie serves that purpose. Um, it, it is pretty funny. I don't think it's as funny or as good as uh, The Big Sick. Um, I don't think it has those aspirations. But I really like The Lovebirds, and it is coming to Netflix in a couple of weeks, so uh, I hope everyone checks that out. Or this week, rather. This week. All right, that's good. It's yeah. uh, good to hear. A nice uh, follow-up to uh, The Big Sick, you'd say? Yeah. I'd say it's perfectly time for a conversation, because we get a new film from the director and the actor as this show goes up. So that's sweet. It's, it's kind of uh, convenient, and I think... Uh, your your illness was was more a blessing than a curse because it allowed us to delay this announced show, which we shouldn't do again. By the way, there's a reason we don't announce what podcast we're gonna do next because shit like this happens where something comes up and then it's like, oh well, we're out of commission for two weeks, so we're next not week that. in Bridges. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to promise anything uh, ever again because you know it's cursed. I think it's cursed when that happens because it just put you out of commission for. Two weeks, that was, that was a little unprecedented. I was surprised you were gone for so long. It must be easier on their video game show, because they don't have to work very hard. They only do it every two weeks. <laughs> yeah. They they hardly put effort in. They just sit and play video games. <laughs> How much is that? I mean, we, we sit here, we deconstruct movies, we do a lot of research to compare and contrast. We got lots of uh, names of uh, all sorts of filmmakers to remember. I mean, we have to cover an art form. They have to... <laughs> what are they covering? <laughs> 
it's like they cover toys and we cover an art form. I mean, to be honest, <laughs> I haven't uh, I haven't listened to their new episode that just dropped this morning that they were recording, but uh, I imagine that they are trying to disparage us in some way. But we won't know till next week because we don't care that much to hear what they have to say about us. I'm glad that Animal Crossing minutes only a minute because that's about all I want to hear. <laughs> you know, you know, it was funny for uh, to help them save face. We cut out a lot of. Uh, mean remarks that bro said on the podcast as well about pavlos uh sure but yeah i just want to say that he's he's clearly just he's more favorable to us when he came on he was he was so late to talk to me but uh so much so that he let out some of his uh bizarre inner thoughts yeah he said all movies are eight out of ten but only because all games are five out of ten Yes, that was that was an accurate quote but we cut a lot of that because we wanted to keep it more strictly movie related discussion and uh you know, like we said, there was already a lot of uh, bad uh, air kind of running around in the whole absence of you there. You know, I think it's kind of funny because we had a great transitional topic here. We just totally ruined it by getting sidetracked talking about our, our other podcast here. We could have gone easily from Lovebirds to Big Sick, but we decided to take a detour instead. I doubt Lovebirds is going to get you to watch it. I don't think it has whatever hook that you need to watch a new movie. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not saying that I was going to watch it either, but I was happy to revisit The Big Sick, which I did see, yeah. like, two years ago, I think. It was, it was oh, yeah. a little bit after it came out. And I, was, and I was very surprised by it. I was very taken by it. And I was I was drawn to it because I was a fan of uh, Kumail from watching him on Silicon Valley. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And he's been able to develop pretty successfully off that springboard as a comedian yeah he's been able to do some fun stuff that that i think was what really gave him his shot here along with you know kind of being uh close to judd apatow who produced the big sick he's really taken by it we were talking about the studio comedies and apatow uh last time i was on i believe and it's just interesting that um the way that he's kind of passed the baton on and this feels like a director who's doing something else and an actor that uh, is kind of like the step after that Apatow camp. Like we're getting into diversity of comedy and it's going through a kind of necessary change. Yeah, I think it is kind of interesting that last time we talked there was a uh, discussion of the death of uh, rom-coms and this happens to be one of the uh, only successful ones I would say in the last you know five, <laughs> six years or so. Yeah, um, I can't think of a lot more. Uh, this is definitely the preeminent one for me because, well, I had just gone through a coma right before it came out. So Yeah, it's kind of a very, very relatable for you in that sense. And I would say that's actually what makes it more successful than the romantic or comedic elements overall. Uh, well, the comedy is very well intertwined with the drama of it. I think there's a very good, awkward, kind of bumbling, graduate-esque balance of comedy and drama to it throughout and that it, it plays off of the dramatic elements with a uh, you know comedy but it's not like the rom-com normal elements are are kind of where it's just very it's ordinary in the beginning it feels like and then once the dramatic hook comes in the story really takes off i really do appreciate its dramatic elements more and think it's more developed in that direction certainly and it's because it's based in you know in truth this is a very true real life story of uh kamil nanjiani's uh real life courtship with his uh now wife emily gordon uh who does not also star in the film uh but you know and and those elements in kamil's and the balancing between that and his attempts at creating a comedic career and for forging a path of his own and battling against the cultural expectations of his uh, Pakistani family uh, are all of these converging elements that make it a really compelling uh, drama. I think he's really successful at being able to address the Pakistani roots without um, seeming that it's exploitative or that uh, it it's a lower form of comedy. I think he's able to do it with a, a respectable degree of uh, authority and uh, control over his own story. There's, there's a joke they crack at one point where he says something about he thinks there's another comedian who leans too hard on like the, uh, you know, the racial elements or whatever, like his own, you know, jokes about that. But really, that is mm -hmm. a lot of what he does in the film as well. But to a very successful degree, I would say, especially again the, uh, the humanizing of his family and balancing their, uh, their own comedic and you know human sensibilities with the. Uh, the kind of more uh, 
stricter and conservative uh, values of a traditional uh, Pakistani family and their cultural uh, difference. It's, it's a whole different world in many ways and their practices, but it's presented in a way that is uh, empathetic. You know, it's not alienating for someone who has never experienced anything like that, like their arranged marriages and, uh, you know, expectations of family to follow through no matter what. Uh, up and even up until the ending, where you you have this uh, dichotomy of feeling there, where the uh, where his father, who's you know saying goodbye to him for seemingly forever, is still obviously not wanting to. He's very very hurt in doing so, but he's you know so he's blindly obeying the uh, the order of their their faith and their following, but really only out of obligation, not out of true feeling. <laughs> Meanwhile, his mom sits in the car, head straight, won't turn over, and his dad. You could tell how much respect and admiration he still has for his son. He has his hands behind his back. His posture just shows that um, that he respects it. That it's like a man-to-man coming-of-age moment. Oh, no. And that he's he's gone and he's launching his own life. And there's a lot of a, why did we move to America if you just want me to live a Pakistani life mm-hmm. in that film? Yeah, and and there's a again, it's a it's a really great balance of that. I think that might be more than anything the the most successful element to me because I think it gives insight to this very personal cultural struggle and like the uh, the balance of an American persona that's being nurtured uh, over here versus this traditional Pakistani lifestyle that you still want to keep rooted in, but you're also uncertain about uh you know it, it, throughout the film he says that he doesn't pray he doesn't you know necessarily believe in allah or muslim you know traditional values and stuff but it's not because he doesn't inherently believe he just doesn't know he doesn't know what he's at a point in his life still where he's uncertain about who he is what he wants what he believes and i think that's a very you know well uh nurtured element of the film this this very relatable human conflict where it's like i don't know what I believe necessarily, I still have to figure that out for myself, and no one can force me in one direction or not. He does a really good job balancing that, I think, and showing it realistically. I think it's really realistically drawn that he'd be doing Uber and then comedy, and I mean, these are ways for him to get out of the house. These are jobs where he could go somewhere that's culturally diverse and different from anything, you know, Pakistani, that, you know, he's picking up writers that are of different, you know, backgrounds, and uh, the scenes with his family are so funny too, uh, yeah. especially his mom bringing in the women with the with the uh, little <laughs> portrait she keeps throwing in the box as they're rejected. Oh, who who could that be? They just dropped in, you know that, yeah. that very thing. And and everyone in the family is very funny. And I know that was an element that uh, Kumail really wanted to nail in the script because, of course, he and his wife wrote this story as well, uh, and they won an Oscar for it, I believe, didn't they? Oh yeah, um, yeah, I believe so, and uh, well deserved. Uh, oh no, 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 they didn't win. They were just nominated, but would would have been deserving of a win, I think. I don't, I don't I remember so. what that I, year. I think it may be one of the best of its year. Um, I think it, the big set definitely had more of an impact on me than maybe anything. But Get Out was pretty impactful. Was it that? No, I think I think Get Out was the next year. You know, I'm looking this up now because it's important to know. And, uh, it's no, pretty... same year there. They were both 2017, I believe. Yeah, so it would have it would have won. All right. Oh, that makes sense too. That was that was kind of uh, predictable. Shame then that they came out in the same year. <laughs> right. Because they're both deserving. Um... It was a very strong year for writing. So the fact that, that it lost is not, uh, you know, a, a bad thing necessarily. There were, there were so many. It was a wealth of great scripts. But this one really is a fantastic one. I think again, the writing is one of the strongest elements here, and the preservation of. Uh, all of the conflicts that uh, the Camus, Kumail's character experiences throughout the film. I think it's a good year for the coming of age story too. We had like Lady Bird and Call Me by Your Name and this movie, which kind of make a pretty good trifecta of diverse stories and uh, new ways of telling stories that kind of shape what independent films are going to look like now. Yeah, uh, and of course, it's not even the most. Uh, uh, central aspect of you know, th- th- and I think that's what's really uh, incredible about the script is that it's able to tell three different conflicts at the same time and kind of keep, marry them all together with the uh, the the cultural clash as he's trying to reconcile with his family and his uh, new persona as an American, um, the uh, the comedic stuff, him working on his comedy and trying to be a successful writer in a 
in a place, I think it gives a lot of insight to stand-up comedy uh, and kind of the ins and outs and the stress of it and, you know, how success in it works. And then, of course, the big element, which is the the relationship part with the with the coma uh, that Emily's character goes into. It's like a half hour or something into the film, I think. Mm-hmm. And I think it's I think it's so good at balancing that. I just set my background to Stuber on the. <laughs> You're making me crack up here on pocket. <laughs> That's pretty good. I don't know how many times Stuber's I wanted it come to up. be like. I wanted to set it so I was like riding with them in the Uber, but I couldn't find the right one. So I went through like three different ones before we started. It is it is funny how much Uber comes up in the film as well because he like you said earlier. Uh, there's that great joke at one point where where she's like uh, where they first sleep together and she's got to go and then she she goes to call an Uber and then he picks up the the ride because he's right there. Oh yeah, <laughs> I like it because it's practical because I drive Uber so I know that you know it it just pings whoever's closest to you. Mm-hmm. So my wife's able to get a ride through me or whatever. So I've done that trick before. That's funny. It's, that's funny. It's that's a real a, thing. <laughs> it's real. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's a real practical thing. It just seems like an invention for rom-com, right? But that's something that I've done, and that, that works. Well, it's really hard to say what exactly is invented for the film and what is, is all real, because it does all feel so naturalistic. Especially, I feel like the, the dialogue is very well written for a naturalistic environment, which is not something I'm always a fan of. Uh, you know, I, I prefer a little bit of a more flash and bang to to movies. I think they should be a little bit more uh, fantastical. Typically, it that's my sound preference. Like movies more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but obviously there's a place for more verite kind of films and this more grounded approach. And this this film, I think, does a really great job at exhibiting that and finding the, the comedic <laughs> uh, sensibilities of everyday life. I think so. I think it's well lived in too i i like the characters a lot i mean i like emily and it you you want to spend time with these people um, it doesn't feel like a construct and um it doesn't feel like he's written a woman into his life and now he has to live with her and she's an annoying uh Zo-Kazan. yeah uh, i i can see you're transitioning to uh the elephant in the room at least for me How can here. you tell <laughs> <laughs> which is uh my newfound disdain for Zoe Castan as uh, a a writer of probably the most horrible film I've endured. <laughs> I hate that. Is it movie. that bad? I hate it. I hate it so much. It's see, I'd it's, put it on par with like her at least. No, well, you have a weird disdain for her that nobody else agrees with. But I'm at least glad. Like when when you watched Ruby Sparks and you were pretty like you know, totally disgusted with it as well. I was like, thank God, because I don't want to just sit here and be the only person like broodingly angry at this pretentious piece of crap. <laughs> I really thought, fuck off. That I I was just rolling through my head the whole movie. It's just, fuck off. It's, it's, it's a movie that thinks it's so much smarter than it is, Oof. and it's trying to tackle this concept of the manic pixie dream girl without actually knowing what the hell it's talking about. <laughs> and it's just so, like, inane. Like, she can't write, like, a man yeah. to save her life. Like, Paul Dano's character is so bizarre I, and, and i've done so much repressing of this film in my memory because i don't want to think about it too much but i just it's some things and so now i have this terrible association with zoe kazan I, <laughs> I think it's funny too because she writes she can't write a man obviously because paul dano is a good actor and can't play this character and uh the whole point of the character is that he can't write a woman so i feel like it, it's a lot of it's, it's ironic yeah yeah and I like that it's kind of an asshole Calvin. He's a real jerk-off, so that, that, I enjoy that. That That's always one of those, like, appealing things to you. Like, if you find a, a Calvin in a film, you attach to that. Or one of those <laughs> one of those interesting quirks. But even that couldn't save this for you. People are like, how do you feel about Django and Chain? I'm like, really relatable. No. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I really enjoyed that asshole Calvin. Mm-hmm. really get off on seeing someone horrible with my name. But yeah, uh, Ruby Sparks was, was a disastrous experience. It was something my fiance had an interest in because it's the same directors who did little miss sunshine and how did she feel about it uh equally hated it equally it was it was a wonderful night of ripping apart a movie uh and it was actually we decided to watch it on like valentine's day two years ago so the the whole night tanked from there but it was a fun time just entirely like like yelling at the top of our lungs how terrible and pretentious and misguided the film was in every conceivable way 
it was a bonding oh, experience for sure. But uh, so yeah, when, when I realized, when I was reminded, when I sat down to watch the movie again that Zoe Kazan was in this, I said, "Uh oh, I hope I don't hate this now." <laughs> and and I was surprised by the fact that I found her performance still very uh, thorough and in fact, convincing. you were happy that she wouldn't do a coma this time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think there's there's a it's less a problem on her this time than in the writing of her character. Uh, I don't know, you know, how intentional it is or how true to life, but she does fall into some manic pixie dream girl stereotypes a little early on, but it's not out of the realm of reality entirely. She's just a little, little too bubbly at points. Uh, you know, and in the film itself, it's, it's not necessarily an indication of her character being bad, but the film does pick up considerably once she steps out, uh, which, you know, is, is odd to kind of realize that, oh, I'm I'm enticed by the fact that this character is gone. That's probably a problem. I really liked when she played a vegetable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I read I read in the, the trivia or something about it that she kept ruining takes by falling asleep when she was supposed to be in the coma and then waking up in the middle of takes. I couldn't tell, so good job <laughs> on her acting. Mm-hmm. Even when she was awake, I... No, she was, she was very good, especially in the more emotionally driven scenes. Again, I feel like the the they all felt very real. Like they felt like real conflicts, even though the emotions could get very high. It didn't feel cartoonish to me. I've been in arguments like that before, where people are just throwing out mean things and you know, kind of like saying the the worst thing to agitate another person, and <laughs> you know, conflict just keeps escalating. I've been there, you know, and that felt real. I guess. Well, I guess I've been through a coma, so I don't know. It's hard for me now to watch one without without yeah. questioning it. I guess I was I was kind of wondering your perspective as a course because I think that was the main appeal of talking about the film above all is that there's a very personal aspect to this for you, which uh, you've gone into in in some detail, both in personal conversations and even on the site. You've got that wonderful article about uh, your rebirth uh, of cinema and your experience uh, coming back to the world of movies after coming out of your coma. But uh, I'm, I'm sure it's a much different experience watching it on screen and more or less reliving your own experience that way. I guess it's harder for me because it was like, it wasn't just like a <laughs> kind of like a random event that happened in life. It was kind of like 15 years of misery leading to a point where I made a decision about a thing and I didn't, I wasn't really living at that point. I was just using drugs and alcohol for survival, so I didn't care that I was going to die. Um, I was fairly happy with dying or at least getting over the pain. So I was fine with going into detox and whatever drugs they gave me, my blood was no longer oxygen, no no longer finding oxygen. Uh, it gets gets me emotional just thinking about it, though, because my daughter had just been born a couple weeks before, and uh, then I kind of slipped into a medically induced coma because I wasn't finding oxygen in my brain. Uh, with my blood, um, and I was out for a month and a half, so it it felt a lot longer than whatever this period was. It, um, in the movie, they don't the make tickets. it clear how long it is, do they? You see the ticket, so he's been by at least you know at least ten or eleven days. But but for me, it was. Uh, they told my family I had about one percent chance of survival, so uh, I had a ECMO going into. I had holes through my neck with the thirty different tubes inside of them. Um, it, it, it's just very surreal because I don't have any memory of the actual process. Like, the interesting part people want to ask about, I guess, I don't know. And I did not wake up with anything like as much acuity as she had for at least a month. I mean, I I couldn't have answered questions or told someone, no, you're just an asshole. And I remember exactly how her relationship was. Yeah. That's... I, was, I was drugged up for at least three months. But in my process, I also had to learn how to talk again, so... That's yeah. That's an interesting element. I guess they kind of skip over. They show you a little bit of physical therapy in the film, but yeah. she is very lucid coming right out of it. It seems like yeah. I had metal tubes down my throat, so they I wasn't able to physically talk for at least a week. So I I I don't remember. I I remember them like coming in and I was like peeing on the floor or something. Like oh, I didn't no. have any like I didn't have any physical ability to like get up and like go to the toilet or anything. So. I don't know. I feel it's. I feel a little bit offended by it all. You know, that like that's not really a good take. I think when it came out, I was so close to it. I was like, finally, just a movie that helps me feel something again. 
Mm-hmm. Do, do you feel like it's a little romanticized, maybe, or just like like glossed over, like not properly portrayed? Uh, I can say I think for sure that the film is very much less concerned with Emily's perspective on things. It's a it's a much more <laughs> focused on Kumail's journey as a person, and uh, Emily is kind of just a character in it, and she's only one facet of it too. Again, the the familial yeah. element of the film is as important as the the coma aspect. The coma just seems like a big. Ex- aside from everything like uh, it seems like she recovers pretty quickly and once she could walk it it was kind of life-changing for me though it wasn't oh of course yeah in my case i had to change a lot about my life and i had to go into treatment for three months after you know three months in the hospital so that's like half a year of just getting started again Mm -hmm. so I don't know, it kind of bugs me. It was it was pretty clean after she got out, but yeah, I it, guess it's a true story. It's so. definitely glossed over. Uh, I think that's the case. I'm not saying that it's not true, but l- like I said, the focus is more, much more squarely on Kumail's personal journey and growth as a person, as opposed like, to Emily's struggle. is much less interesting <laughs> at that point. I, I mean... I, I guess it depends on the perspective. If you're looking for it as a coma story, then yeah, it's it's not that interesting because it is it's very sudden, it's very unexplained, and it's very over and done with. You know, very quickly through the end of the film, even her yeah. growth as a character, her like she makes a very sudden shift to liking him again at the end of the film. Yeah, it's, uh, like it's almost a snap, and then it's there. Yeah, I almost thought like when like after everything and, and, and this big relief and his whole world falling apart, his family disowning him, him fucking up the comedy routine, like majorly. And she comes out and she basically just tells him to fuck off. Like, wouldn't that be an interesting, tragic end to the story? Like just this entire, you know, mountain of just horrible life experience. And you, and you got to muscle through it. Like that would be, I think an interesting ending, but you know, it's good that it ends up as a happy ending too, especially as a real life thing. I could accept happy endings every once in a while. I mean, they I'm okay with them, and I never, you know, I'm not the kind of guy that always needs a dark ending. I feel like it has enough darkness in it already, and life does. And yeah, uh, I think we're living through enough darkness right now that uh, the big sick is just the kind of movie I want to go watch right now. Mm-hmm. You know, it was funny uh, telling me about your coma again and stuff because I remember the first time we met up, and I remember you first telling me about it. It was. Uh, you you just mentioned there your your experience of not remembering anything, not remembering any of the parts to talk about, and well, it's it's very weird that I died a couple times and don't have a memory of the experience. Right. You know? well, well, I remembered that because like the way you first told me about it was when we first met for the first time in in person. I was telling you about my own medical experience at the time, like my own brief brushes where I had like two seizures in one day that put me in the hospital and like your immediate follow-up was like oh yeah i mean i was in a coma for you know a month and a half i'm like oh okay <laughs> i was very like you it were just like, it's sucked- was going to be sympathetic because you're like i sometimes i seize out at night and i'm really struggling with this thing and i'm like yeah well i died in a coma <laughs> it's it, it entirely sucked the wind out of my sails <laughs> <laughs> well i'm glad we could relive it here mm-hmm yeah, you, you're certainly uh, much more jubilant about it, I, I guess I would say. I don't know, I, I didn't know you before, so it's hard to say the exact change, but, you know, it's been, uh, I, I think, a positive impact overall, if that's I I, not weird to I, say. I think it was, everything was very negative before it, that I, to the point where I didn't care about survival anymore, so I was just using drugs to survive, so right. I'm just happy to not have to do that, and... Uh, I think it's helped me help a lot of people, which is what I care about right now. Right, very, very clearly, and I see that you in in everything you do as a person, and and so in that sense is what I mean by a, a positive impact. Uh, and it's kind of cool too. I mean, I didn't have a lot of interesting things going on, but then I had a daughter and went into a coma, which is yeah, you know, like the two biggest things in my life happened within a month. Yeah, it's it's, it's pretty quite, fucking cool. Quite the story to tell, and again, it certainly uh served my interesting talk about having a seizure i i do remember the dreams and there's really dark shit i thought i was in like a hellscape of detroit half the time and i was inside like a, a like a sphere shape and the devil was talking to me and asking me if i wanted to live for my daughter and stuff and i kept saying yes and then i woke up and everything was just a blur but you never know what's the drugs, and you know, yeah, I was on so much ketamine. They gave me the list of the drugs I was on while in the coma. I flipped through, and it was like a thirteen, fourteen-page document of drugs. Wow. I, yeah, I, I don't even have anything comparable in my life to this. So in some ways, I'm really glad it happened because I find it really interesting, and I needed like a complete reset. If it were, 
If it were like a half measure, like I went into detox, I came out, everything was fine in two weeks. I don't think I would have stayed sober. So I'm really grateful that I had like the hardest reset. Uh, I got the most extreme thing you could do in your life without dying while also dying. Right. Well, yeah, it's it's definitely a uh, an experience. I think most people uh, can't match in that regard. And you're right in that uh, complete reset may have been exactly what you needed even though it's not something you'd ever ask for by any means. <laughs> I definitely was asking for it at that point. Like, if I could go back and take it, I would do it again, even if I if I would have died, just to get out of that situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was just so desperate. The week before I went in, I was throwing up blood, and I couldn't sleep or eat anything. I could no longer even hold alcohol or drugs down, so I, was, I wasn't even functioning off anything. Uh, it, was, it was kind of a wake-up call. <laughs> Was it just the result of excessive use leading up to that point? Was there, like, a particular thing that, that triggered it, or...? Well, I was doing a lot of Xanax and alcohol and cocaine, so, and I, I was blending that, and it was kind of a roller coaster, right? Like, I was taking stuff in the morning to get up and then to come down at night, and I started around 4 a.m. every day drinking vodka out of the freezer, so... Yeah, that is... Yeah, like a whole bottle through the day. It's a it's a uh, rough patch in life certainly, and uh, not it, again. It's it's kind of weird sometimes to talk about because it's not the person you get the, uh, the, the you know I get the feeling from you at all. Of course, talking to you the whole time I've known you now. It's weird to think that there there are certain points where you wonder in addiction like where did I cross the line right like there were points where it was like I stopped drinking for enjoyment like I wasn't drinking things I liked anymore like I just liked Jack and Cokes and I didn't I stopped drinking those and I just went to you know, shitty beer and vodka straight and it didn't matter anymore and i wonder if that's like the point of addiction where where i couldn't come back anymore mm-hmm. it's pretty scary stuff though and now i get to help people and i'm not afraid of that stuff and i guess i don't have any fear of death anymore so that's I, there are a lot of benefits that's good i think that's a good thing i know that's still something that plagues my life i worry about all people dying in my life still though though i pray i don't go through any situation nearly this similar to yours i guess it's difficult too because i guess i'm around a lot more death and recovery and i've seen i've had a lot more friends die now uh, than i did while i was using drugs which is ironic but, yeah but i think i think it's because you get to the people that are at the end of that cycle right mm-hmm. they're bound to either go back out and face death right now or go to jail or get better right now there's three options I'm very glad, of course, that you uh, bounced back. You came back, and you're a stronger person now. And you know, you went through this uh, terrible experience, but you know, much better on the other side. And you have a full life now to live, something to live for too. I'm just saying, I didn't have any acuity for at least a month. I I didn't <laughs> yeah. know what was going on. I I didn't know who my family were. Uh, I. I don't understand this movie in that sense. That's my biggest pet peeve with the coma portrayal, but everything else seems pretty good. Well, it's it's uh, weird when when there are experiences like that because I I think that happens more often than people think in those kind of situations. I know again, not not similar. Just trying to relate through any similar medical experience I can. But my brother once he fe- he fell and he hit his head and had a concussion, and it was yeah. is terrifying talking to him in the hospital because he literally didn't remember anything. He didn't know who we were there. He couldn't remember anything going on him he didn't know who he was he didn't know his own name yeah. it was, it was the mean, most horrifying <laughs> thing and he had this dead stare just this hundred yard stare the whole time and it was, it was haunting my See, dad was really afraid he was gone your brother's fall was worse than her three weeks in a coma yeah wow it was it was only for like like half a day or so he came back yeah. you know that was he was scary though it was terrifying it's legitimately one of the the most horrifying uh, things to watch. I, I still I have this picture on my phone we took with him where we're all smiling around him and he's just like dead stare. Oh, it's haunting. I think, I think what's changed for me the most is that memories become my biggest fear. Uh, I realize how fragile it is and it's still something I have problems with. Although they scanned my brain and they said there's pretty usual holes for a drug addict but nothing concerning. Oh, you know, I don't sense any major holes in your intelligence at any points. Just my memory is shaky. Yeah. I I guess not liking police story might be a result of that, but that's the only thing I could think of. And, you know, now I'm just grateful to be alive and grateful to be here and be able to do this uh, show most weeks. Yeah, I'm, I'm very happy to have you here all the time. 
you know, of course, these last two weeks he's been a little absent, but you know, uh, this this is the thing I look forward to most of my week. I mean, it's great. It's like an opportunity to talk uh, with a, one of my closest friends here about uh, something that we enjoy, and we we talk almost every day anyway. So uh, naturally, we should do a podcast because we're uh, two white guys that talk every day. <laughs> Surprisingly, we find enough to still converse about, despite how much we communicate uh, outside the the podcast and such. And uh, there's still so much worth, uh, you know, rooting through for for all sorts of films. And you know, I. I I'm glad that we cover a wide variety of films, uh, you know, even though I am apprehensive to cover more contemporary stuff like this, just because I'm less invested. Not that I'm not, but, you know, I, I can't say that I'm not biased towards the older stuff. I mean, older stuff is so fun because it's golden age and everyone's at their prime of of a whole medium uh, exploding into, like, an exciting ball of creativity where every project touches the next one and studio systems influence each other and then now it's like a here's this one-off movie on amazon that's really good i guess it goes back to what i said earlier about what i like in films is that every old golden age hollywood film has an element of uh fantasy to it i think and that they're all very glamorous and unreality you know there's an uh there's they're like grit i guess in that same way like it's all or, or not grit necessarily but realism naturalism uh that's almost non-existent in anything in american films pre-1960s you know it's all very polished and you know uh like i said glamour of course is, is how we describe old hollywood films so naturalistic approaches like uh stuff here in the big sick it doesn't always work on me but in this particular case uh, there was something very, very human rooted in every moment of the film, and so I connected with that in a great way. Meanwhile, I feel like I'm like the documentary <laughs> horror guy, so I'm really attracted to like contemporaneous like grit and uh, truth of like American problems and issues that maybe dig into social issues a little bit more. So maybe the newer stuff is more for me in that sense, but I really enjoy too that we look back at the older movies and. I feel like we're only getting started. There are thousands of movies, and we're only at, what, like the... 75. This is our 75th. Uh, But, uh, yeah, I think what you touched on there highlights why I think this works week after week, is that we have very balancing tastes. Uh, And there Mm -hmm. there are a number of films that we don't necessarily agree on, or that one is more enthusiastic about than the other. But there's enough common ground here we really love uh, reveling in together. And even in the stuff we agree on, we, we represent different sides in, in many ways. And I think those uh, altering perspectives uh, gives us a very uh, credible, uh, you know, vision over uh, a lot of moviedom. And I feel like I had ideas about this one that it would be so much less on a rewatch. I, I don't know if I just pictured a straight comedy in my mind. You know, I'm coming off Stuber right. and Lovebirds and I'm like, uh, Stuber is shit, <laughs> and Lovebirds is pretty fine. I mean, it's pretty good. Uh, it's not going, you know, I'm not going to remember it any year. Mm-hmm. It's oh, and, and for me, of course, like I was not only the the Zoe Kazan problem that I mentioned earlier, but also just like uh, <laughs> we, we talked before about modern comedies not not having the same bite or wit to them. And you know, I'm so steeped in classic screwball stuff, and you know, really loving that up and old silent comedian slapstick stuff like i'm like am i even gonna like this modern comedy again it feels like forever ago since i watched this but i was i was very surprised with how taken i was by it again it's not the comedy so much that really makes it compelling though that is woven in incredibly well and it's got a very you know uh humorous nature to it throughout but it is the dramatic and real human elements of it that make it you know, such a convincing project so best moment for me is um, how do you feel about 9-11 anti we lost 19 <laughs> of our best guys <laughs> there's there's a couple of those jokes throughout because it was like earlier on where he's having a conversation with his brother they're getting loud they're like oh no don't worry we hate terrorists <laughs> <laughs> and it's it definitely you know it shines a light on that there's a problem thanksgiving that joke at the end mm-hmm. Yes, that that one might be my favorite, where he talks about his first day in America being Thanksgiving, and uh, you know, it's like they have a whole day dedicated to Garfield. This is <laughs> this, this is what every day in America is like. He was very disappointed the next day that it wasn't a constant celebration of Garfield. I just think that's such funny and unique, honest perspective. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that, what the it, movie has a lot of. 
Well, I think it's an interesting thing as well that sometimes we as Americans might take for granted because, like, the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade is so so tired in many ways. If we I don't saw another culture doing it, what would we think? Right? It's it's yeah. strange. Yeah. Oh, and again, it's one of those things where it's it's so extravagant and so over the top in so many ways, and that's why it's so American. And so I think that's what works about that. Joke. I think it's it's so commercialized too. Like, he's right. Like Garfield. Yeah. Like we we like honor and we revere these like cartoon characters for companies that have these floats. There's, there's a giant. There's a giant Pikachu float or something yeah. coming by. Elsa comes on a, a you know a float and she sings a song halfway through and it, it goes on for like three or four hours. Oh yeah, and I mean we love football, which is all like product placement. You know, America's a weird place to come into, so these outsider stories are really interesting. On well, and that's what makes it, uh, I think, another uh, integral work there again. Like we said, it's the it's the blending of. Uh, the the Pakistani culture with the American sensibilities and uh, you know persona that's being cultivated, and I think that's about as as American as it gets. And seeing yeah. that diversity, like we talked about at the Oscars that year, really showcases a greater uh, blend of um, American lifestyles than uh, we have been allowed to see for for a long, long period of time. And it's the only safe way for us to cover a Pakistani film because. Uh, what's, we, what's we, would, we would do terrible <laughs> we would do a terrible job at covering a, a true Pakistani film from Pakistan let's, uh, let's th- name I mean, the whole Pakistani uh, film filmography uh, their, their film Zero history Dark I know, and this movie and <laughs> Stuber look I know I know when to stay in my lane I know to talk about my very white centric topics you know but I'm happy to, to highlight this one which uh, does a very good job of introducing me to another culture and, and lifestyle uh, in a way that's not entirely alienating. I, uh, other best part, we we talked a little bit about his parents. I think his mom is probably my favorite performer in here. When she says that, <laughs> what does she say? I think Malala is the one that needs the stage. That's a great joke. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, she's like, why are you getting up on stage? Malala is the one with something to say like that. That's a very Pakistani <laughs> viewpoint. Because they they are conservative, but they're also progressive in a Pakistani way. Mm-hmm. It's it's just an interesting insight to a culture, and again, specifically the uh, uh, the reconciling on Kumail's part of having to marry traditional, you know, Pakistani practices with you know a new American lifestyle. And I think that's that's where the film sings most because it does feel the truest in those moments. Uh, you know, you say stuff like the coma stuff is is lol you know, uh, whitewashed or whatever, kind of worked around. Yeah. But all, all of the stuff with his family feels real genuine. I think practically, I think too, I don't think it's a good movie for someone to be laying there for a month, you know? They, mm-hmm. they, I didn't really have an ability to talk well for at least seven or eight months, so that doesn't make a movie, you know? Yeah, again, the timeline for it is not always clear. Uh, so I guess we need to touch on her parents before we get off here. Oh, oh yeah, I can't believe we skipped over that. I can't believe we've done we've done so much talking about so many things and talked about a personal relation to the things that we totally skipped over. Probably the the two of the greater aspects of the film, <laughs> yeah. which are Ray, Ray Romano and Holly Hunter as her parents. They take up the whole center carry... of the movie. I feel like we hit all the other yeah. sides of it, but uh, they they're special. What an oversight! That's ridiculous. That because they're they're probably two of my favorite parts of the film because they're they're so good and so funny. And I think their relationship provides a much needed parallel to to Camille's and Emily's uh, and in the kind of the the trials that they go through that they've been through, and yet they're still together through it all. You know, I feel like scene. it starts kind of like a Ray Romano comeback to where he's doing oh like yeah the, where he's doing the Duplass brothers at uh, Paddleton, and then he's. Again, Irishman, up. And then he's Irishman. in the Irishman. So yeah. this is like a three movie streak where he's like big news again. He does so great here. He's coming back, and actually, I saw as well that the director just did the he did a the, his new comedy special. Apparently, that's on Netflix. I didn't oh. know about this that he did a comedy special on Netflix, and I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah, it's cool. Uh, yeah, we touched a lot on Lynn Shelton earlier. It's interesting to see which comics get what directors to come in and do uh, their specials. Yeah, so they're. They're fantastic parts of the film, and they really help carry that middle section. They have great chemistry with uh, Camille throughout. The scene where uh, Holly Hunter like heckles the shit out of the 
the racist <laughs> guy in the club is is a hilarious moment. And it does good with the setup too, because you have that at the beginning where uh, that's their you know that's his punchline for his uh, pickup line. You know what's heckling? Is it is it still heckling if it's positive? Then that's yeah. at the ending, and that's with her mom too, which is a good convergence of a joke. Yeah, it, it, it repeats that, and again, that's that element of shining a light on the, the stand-up scene that is something else that the film does well. I'm, And that's what I talk about as well when I say the writing is really good. I'm, I'm amazed by how well it balances these three integral conflicts to Camille's character, and it, it makes them all work together in a, in a very seamless kind of way. Um, I, I do enjoy that they eventually get out to the... Um to the comedy show and just his relationship with uh, Ray Romano is pretty funny. Uh, yeah. Uh, just them hanging out and talking about cheating and, you know, they get into some stuff. Yeah. Uh, somewhat against Kumail's will. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's true. <laughs> which uh, provides for some comedy there, but which again, is funny because the... he's very against their will uh, initially. They just want, Oh to yeah. Him. They, they don't want anything to do with him because they have this immediate bias against him from hearing <laughs> Emily's side of things, but he stays, he sticks around uh, he makes and, it so awkward because he just sits in the yeah. chair looking at them. <laughs> he couldn't just go to the side of the room. He's face facing the mom. He's he's looking over. Is that woman still looking at me? You know. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they are uh, a strong, integral part of the film, and another good mirror of uh, generational conflicts, like with uh, Kamel's parents throughout the film. Uh, again, the whole the whole cast is really stellar. Uh, even even Zoe Kazan against. Uh, my bias she does a good job yeah i feel like we spent a lot of time talking about oxygen and blood and i just want to dedicate all that to lynn shelton of course and uh, grateful we got to come back and do all of that so uh, she had yeah. died of a blood disorder just this week so i don't know heavy week but uh next week should be all fun movies yeah this was this is definitely a heavy topic we got into that very personal aspect of your life here but i think that makes it a a stronger and again more truthful episode on our end here too but yeah. i'll be i'll be excited to get back to silly inane bullshit next week <laughs> yeah of course but but let's not announce what we plan to do otherwise you might be gone again for another couple of weeks in bruges i'll see not you guys that. in three weeks <laughs> all right thanks so much man. thanks again calvin it's good to have you back <laughs>